0: all the latest business news from wa delivered daily at close of business news briefing
1: good afternoon and welcome to at close of business this is simone grogan with your friday afternoon headlines Clough's administrators say they have fielded multiple inquiries from interested suitors after securing short-term funding to pay workers on projects caught up in the Perth engineer's collapse. Deloitte's national restructuring leader, Melbourne-based Sal Alighieri, and three financial advisory partners were brought in to manage the 102-year-old engineering firm after it went into voluntary administration earlier this week. The four days since have entailed what administrators have called intensive discussions with counterparties to pin down how much Clough's collapse might impact their projects and to determine how. cash will be needed to keep them going. Yesterday, Mitsui & Co and Beach Energy stepped in to ensure all workers and contractors for the Waitsia Gas Project Stage 2, which Clough had been contracted to deliver, would continue to be paid what they are owed. That was followed by an update from WeBuild, which this morning said had provided immediate funding for Clough employees working on the Snowy Hydro 2.0 project in New South Wales. Deloitte said that it had reached agreements with key parties to ensure that employees, joint venture subcontractors and suppliers were paid, but it is unclear whether that extends to all Clough projects. According to Deloitte, the engineer was working on eight projects across Australia prior to entering administration – Two of them were in Western Australia, the $191 million project to extend Stevenson Avenue in Osborne Park and the $750 million waitsea Gas Project Stage 2. Voluntary Administrator and Deloitte turnaround and restructuring national leader Sal Algari said Clough was a complex and expensive business to run, but with agreements in place, could now move to finding a new owner for the company. He said the company had fielded multiple inquiries from interested parties and would pursue discussions with these groups, look to find a new owner and protect jobs and continuity to provide certainty for stakeholders. And in other news, the federal government has promised to subsidise coal mines if necessary to implement a price cap for gas and coal, while pledging $1.5 billion for vulnerable households. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese announced the package this afternoon following a national cabinet meeting. He said it would be an extraordinary measure for an extraordinary time caused by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The price of coal will be kept at $125 per tonne and gas at $12 per gigajoule for 12 months. As part of the package, Mr Albanese said the federal government would step in to support coal miners that were not economically viable at that price, particularly in New South Wales. The cap comes as East Coast gas prices have averaged as much as $27 per gigajoule in major capital cities in recent months, and following a deal with producers to bring an extra 157 petajoules into the market. The Australian energy market operator's recent market update reported that demand from gas-fired generators for the fuel was 85% higher in Victoria in the September quarter of 2022 than in the same quarter of 2021. New South Wales demand lifted 41 per cent. The cap will be unlikely to impact WA customers, however, because the price of gas is set separately to the East Coast and is well below the cap. But AEMO has warned the state faces a gas shortage as soon as 2025. The package will also include $1.5 billion for households to be paid through state governments, including in Western Australia. The money will be focused on families who receive Commonwealth assistance. Mr Albanese said using the money to reduce energy bills rather than as a handout payment would lower inflation. And in other news, the board is set for Gina Reinhardt's Hancock Energy to take control of Perth-based and desirable Warrego Energy after Kerry Stokes-backed Beach declined to match a $342 million cash offer. Beach had five days to return with a counter-proposal to Hancock's 28 cents per share cash offer for Warrego, but told the ASX this morning that it had determined not to exercise its matching right owed as part of the bid. The company said it instead plans to put more cash towards exploration and drilling within its own Perth Basin tenements. The move paves the way for Gina Reinhart's Hancock Energy to move on a takeover, with Warrego's board telling its shareholders to accept the private company's proposal in the absence of a superior one. Hancock's front-running offer prices Warrego at $342 million. Warrego also made note of Strike Energy's recent deal to position itself as its new largest shareholder, but said the change in interest would have no impact on a Hancock takeover because it was not subject to a minimum acceptance condition. Hancock is expected to dispatch its bidder statement next week. And coming up next, Jordan Murray and Matt McKenzie discuss the looming state government cabinet reshuffle and Anthony Albanese's energy market intervention.
2: The business world is teeming with opportunities to succeed and every day is a chance for the ambitious to learn, know and grow. Over recent years, we have built the greatest business journalist team in WA, delivering you the most trusted, comprehensive, intelligent and up-to-date news across every sector, every platform, every day. No fluff, all informative stuff. At Business News, we believe progress boils down to one simple habit, that is, What you subscribe to today shapes what you will become tomorrow. Subscribe to success. Subscribe to Business News. Visit businessnews.com.au forward slash subscribe for more information.
3: Welcome back to At Close of Business. I'm Jordan Murray. Today, joined by senior journalist Matt McKenzie for our second last Friday appearance together for the year. Matt, are you getting emotional at this time of year?
0: Well, I wanted to say that I feel energised to be here, but unfortunately, there's been a cap put on that, so I'm not allowed to be energised. I'll say I'm excited. Is there a lump of coal in your stocking this year that (laughs) you're expecting? I don't think I could afford a lump of coal in my stocking. (laughs) Jordan, this week, uh, David Kelly, minister in the state government, revealed that he would stop being a minister in the state government. Can you take us through, just quickly, firstly, how did he come to that decision? So this had been rumoured for
3: a couple of weeks now, at least since Alana McTiernan announced that she would retire and step away from the Legislative Council. I think the assumption was that Jackie Jarvis and David Michael would be uh, promoted to Cabinet. David Michael is the Cabinet Secretary and currently shadows the Premier uh, as a Parliamentary Secretary. Uh, And Jackie Jarvis is a backbencher who was elected at the last state election when Labor won in a landslide. Dave Kelly's appearance had a few differences to Alana McTiernan's uh, retirement announcement. Notably, the Premier wasn't there. The event yesterday was, I wouldn't say sombre, but it was very direct and straightforward. Dave Kelly came out. He said the Premier had spoken to him, uh, asked him to resign, and that he would do so. I think it was very interesting as well because Dave Kelly had spoken about this desire by the Premier to see more women promoted to Cabinet, which would seem to rule out someone like David Michael. There's all sorts of implications for
0: what this means for who will actually be promoted. So this is an interesting point, right? Because if you're losing one woman and one man, and you're specifically losing David Kelly because the Premier said, ''We want a woman.'' The, infer- the inference from that would be that there'll be two women added to Cabinet. Is that basically the idea? That's correct. That would be my interpretation of that, at least.
3: Otherwise, if you're promoting David Michael and Jackie Jarvis, then you end up with the exact same gender balance as you did before you demoted Dave Kelly in the first place. So that that would be how I've... Interpreted that statement, and I don't think that that's a cute interpretation. I think that's a very accurate interpretation of what uh, Mr. Kelly said yesterday.
0: Yeah. Okay. Interesting, because um, you know this sort of stuff kind of all goes over my head in terms of factualism and things in the Labor Party. But uh, you know, I I presume one other aspect might be that, you know, Alana perhaps has to be replaced by a man because that's what that faction says or whatever. And can you just explain how that sort of would all work out? So, again, my understanding
3: is that Alana McTiernan, who isn't factionally aligned, the right claims that spot in Cabinet. So, notionally, David Michael would have replaced her because he was of the right with the Dave Kelly spot, obviously, to be replaced by someone on the left. So, Jackie Jarvis was aligned, I believe, with the United Workers' Union. So, the reason that this kind of throws it off balance to have two women come into Cabinet is that, presumably... Uh, David Michael can't come in now, uh, and you need someone else from the right. Now, the only person who is a parliamentary secretary who is of the right and is also a woman is Samantha Rowe. She's led the Labor Business Roundtable since, uh, well, not since, before she was elected in 2013 as a legislative council member for uh, the East Metro region. So she, to the best of my knowledge, would be the only woman who satisfies that factional balance, which then also puts question marks over who then gets uh, Dave Kelly spot, presumably someone from the left. Now, Jackie Jarvis would notionally satisfy that, but there are plenty of other parliamentary secretaries who are women who are aligned with the right union, uh, Jessica Shaw, Jessica Stoykovsky, uh, and Sabine Winton. Sabine Winton seems to be the name that comes up the most as a potential uh, promotion if uh, Ms. Jarvis is not. Uh, promoted to Cabinet. Uh, so that's kind of the, the factional thinking behind all of this that cast doubt on whether or not it will be a fait accompli for Jackie Jarvis and David Michael. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I actually just saw Sabine Winton at the Square Kilometer Array announcement up in the Murchison on Monday, so there you go. Uh, so those are the names as to the potential other options as to who would come in. If there were a bit of a reshuffle of portfolios, who would do what? Who do you think would wants to be hydrogen minister? Do you think it could be Bill Johnston? Well, Bill Johnston, I would...
3: I'm not sure about this. I haven't spoken to people about this extensively but I I wouldn't have thought he'd get more. But If you look at someone who's handling corrective services, energy, mines, industrial relations. He's got the tough jobs. He's got all the tough jobs and they don't always align clearly so i don't know if adding hydrogen to that necessarily makes sense unless say you take away corrective services uh, or maybe even take industrial relations and give that back to either stephen dawson or tony booty there's probably an argument as well that a state development minister roger cook has claims to the hydrogen portfolio Uh, and regional development i think is the interesting one here Uh, so my assumption would be that the preference would be for a rural uh, MP to hold regional development and Dom Punch would probably be the best candidate for that. There's only three regional uh, ministers left after Alana McTiernan resigns. Uh, one of them's Stephen Dawson and the other one is David Templeman and even though Mandra is considered a regional electorate I don't know if the voters would consider that a regional electorate necessarily, so probably makes sense for Don Punch to take that on, but then as well I think he's probably got his own concerns, particularly in holding fisheries, which it might seem like a junior portfolio, but based on the experiences of Dave Kelly particularly, uh, it's very politically difficult and it's uh, got its own challenges, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how those portfolios land once the Cabinet reshuffle is announced, presumably at some point next week
2: celebrate business leaders, entrepreneurs, and trailblazers with business news events. With our flagship event series, bespoke online events, webinars, book launches, and gala awards programs, our forums showcase the policies and issues affecting Western Australia within industry and government. Our events are your platforms to engage and connect with the Western Australian business community. Visit businessnews.com.au forward events for more information.
3: Now Matt, I asked you if you were expecting a lump of coal in your stocking for Christmas and you said that you probably couldn't afford it but the Prime Minister has made an announcement today that implies you actually could afford it, possibly, if uh, his plans are to go ahead. What was announced today?
0: So Anthony Albanese had a National Cabinet meeting and he came out and uh, made a few big calls on what the federal government is going to do about energy prices. Number one, a cap on the price of coal and gas. Coal, $125 a tonne. Gas, $12 a gigajoule. Now, $12 a gigajoule is a lot more than anyone's paying at the moment here in WA, but it's a lot less than the price of gas has been so far this financial year in Sydney, Adelaide, wherever else. Those two cities, for example, I think the average so far this financial year has been $27 a gigajoule. Read as truckloads, very expensive gas. Um, So the price cap is basically less than half that. We'll get back to that. Uh, subsidies for households, uh, about $1.5 billion that's going to be done through the state governments and it was implied that that would include Western Australia. Remember that the, na- the national electricity grid is separate from the grid we have here in WA uh, because why would you want to connect them It's the thousands of kilometres between us? Uh, that's one example. And so uh, this will be given to households through state governments and they'll be doing it through the bills, It'll be focused, as I understand it, on more vulnerable households, so uh, people that are receiving Commonwealth assistance, etc. Uh, he spoke a little bit about the announcement from yesterday regarding the future of the energy grid, uh, and uh, he also made some comments which I found intriguing about uh, if coal miners couldn't, uh, if their cost of production was higher than the $125 a ton cap, that the federal government would step in to support them i.e. a subsidy. So we've joked about this before on this podcast. Here is finally an actual real subsidy for a coal mine, potentially. And how ironic that it's coming from the Labor government, the Labor federal government. So price cap, energy subsidies, and this uh, reserve capacity mechanism that they're developing on the east coast, Jordan. Now, I think,
3: as you wrote online, these are are very uh, wide-ranging actions that have been taken.
0: What's the impact of them, though? Well, I've got to say this. I rattled my brains uh, when I heard this announcement and in, in the time since. And I can't think of an example of where a supply shortage has been fixed by a price cap, which is the first point. Now, we have a problem at the moment where people are getting hit hard and businesses are getting hit hard by these rising gas prices in their energy bills. Um, and so, of course, some action is going to be warranted. But I think the point that we're missing is the reason that the price is going up Is because we don't have we don't have enough of this stuff, right? And I don't know if a price cap is the long-term solution. It may well be that we say, well, actually, the price is being set high enough that perhaps, you know, in the in the case of gas, perhaps there'll still be a lot of new gas that can come onto market. But if you want to bring new gas onto market, you need to think about, you know, can people actually drill for it? Uh, Can they get approvals for it? Um, Can they connect it to the network? Um, That's the type of thing in the longer term that the federal government is going to need to be looking at. You know, we saw in the 1970s there were price caps on a lot of, lot of different things, including petrol, and of course you ended up with huge queues for petrol because it caused shortages. Um, in this case, what's fascinating about this and what seems to be getting missed is that the energy market operator has pointed out, actually, that the biggest or there's been a massive increase in demand for gas in the September quarter wasn't from export, wasn't from international people needing our gas because of something to do with Ukraine. The biggest increase, or the huge increase, was in Victoria, a big increase in the demand by gas generators. 80% gas power generators increased their demand for gas. That was in the September quarter of 2022 compared to the September quarter of 2021. And in New South Wales, it was something like 40%. So, that's because you know we've had coal power stations that have been shut down and all sorts of stuff happening over there, so demand for gas to be used to make electricity has increased. So, um, the impact of that is when you're using gas more, gas is used uh, in the electricity market to be flexible when you know you demand might go up or whatever else you bring on gas, and it means it sets the price a lot. So that's going to really that means that uh, people are going to be punished, right? They're going to be having a very tough time. Their prices are going to be going up if you're using more gas and if the gas price is going up, but on the other hand, right, the reason that demand for gas is going up is because it's needed to keep the lights on, and this demand is going up, and we're struggling to get new supply on, so it should be no surprise that that's driving up the price. How does a cap fix those problems? It's not abundantly clear, Um, and then we can get to the issue of the subsidies, Jordan, for households, the $1.5 billion subsidy. And this was a key request of uh,
3: some of the states affected, mostly the coal-producing states, that this uh, subsidy be brought in.
0: Uh, What sort of impact do you expect that would have, deflationary, inflationary? Well, the Prime Minister says this will be deflationary, not inflationary, this $1.5 billion handout. And the reason for that is because we've actually done the same thing here in Western Australia, and it's actually kind of really a technicality. I think in in substance, in reality, I think he's incorrect. But from a technical perspective, it's true. If you um, reduce people's gas bills, because this is how this is gonna work, the, the federal government's gonna give this money to the states and the state's gonna use it to apply to people's bills directly. If you reduce the price that people are paying for gas, From the CPI calculation perspective that the Australian Bureau of Statistics does, the Consumer Price Index, they go, ah, consumers are paying a a lower price for gas, therefore the gas prices come down and it reduces the CPI basket. Same thing happened here in WA. We had a lower inflation read in the most recent quarter, and everybody thought it was fantastic, but the actual reason was it was a temporary once-off lower number because people's power bills came down because of that electricity credit by the state government. And by the way, I was... Grateful to have a credit for the electricity. Don't worry about that, but I'm merely saying that it's temporary. And then in the quarter that follows, once that credit has worked its way through the system, it's actually the opposite. You end up with a higher than you might have otherwise got inflation number because, um, because it's, it's got to go back up again because everyone's paying much more than they did in the prior quarter. So the upshot of all of that is I don't think it is actually deflationary. And the thing that people need to remember about this is inflation, I know that, you know, not everyone seems to agree on this anymore, but inflation ultimately is caused by monetary policy and fiscal policy more than anything else. And when you have the Reserve Bank triple the size of its balance sheet over two years, there should be no surprise that we start having an inflation problem. And of course, it's been very frustrating um, for people who are users of energy and other products to see the disruption we've had over the last year and to see what's happened in Ukraine and and Russia and the war, and that's been an absolute tragedy. But let's just remember this, that inflation was already a problem before the war, and it was a big problem in other countries before the war. So we can't just blame what happened in Russia, and, sorry, what happened in Ukraine. Um, And to that point, uh, if you want to stop inflation, the only way you can do it, there's only really two things you can do, Number one is stop borrowing lots of money and stimulating the economy. And number two is you need to get monetary policy under control. And that means all these interest rate rises that we've had, and effectively I'm speaking in a metaphor, but you can't be printing money. You don't do that literally anymore. You use bank accounts. It's all electronic, but you know what I'm saying. You can't just create money. Uh, That's the only way you can fix this problem. And so if you alleviate the cost of someone's power bill, that is good for that person, and it eases the pain for that person. But, of course, that doesn't mean that uh, it stops every other price going up. And, in fact, if you give people more money in their, in their wallet at the end of, you know, oh, I don't have to pay $400 for my power bill, I'm only paying $200, what do they do with the other $200? They use it to have to cover the higher cost of everything else that's going on, which is positive, but, of course, that means there's demand that gets pushed to other parts of the economy overall does that mean lower inflation it's not abundantly clear to me so i'd love to see if treasury did any modeling on this and even if they did based on the stuff they've done in the last couple of years whether it's actually any good Um, but jordan i think people are going to be grateful to have energy price um, relief Uh, this is a 12-month thing i don't think this is going to be the big fix for inflation that people might think it be it will be and wow you've got to be concerned about what the long-term outcome might be in the gas market. If you need more gas, you've got to drill and get more gas. That's the ultimate solution if you don't have enough gas, Jordan. To read more on these stories, head online to businessnews.com.au
3: where you can read analysis of Dave Kelly's resignation from the ministry and Matt McKenzie's wrap-up of today's announcement from the Prime Minister. In the meantime, Matt, I look forward to our
0: final meeting of the year next week. Yeah, we're going to be reflecting on 2022, the year that was. The latest business news delivered daily. Subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. For all the latest business news, visit
1: businessnews.com.au.